you ever embarrassed to be associated with other Christians? Do you ever, have you ever, maybe even over this last year, seen people with some kind of a Christian badge on doing things that you find really off-putting and offensive and that you really don't want to be associated with? That's a hard place to be, and people do it. People do ridiculous things sometimes in the name of Christ. Sometimes just unimpressive things. Sometimes Christians don't look that great. One, one way out of that embarrassment that's often used is to say, well, those aren't real Christians. People who do things like that, or perhaps people who believe things like that, are not real Christians. And sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's not true. But it's one way out of the embarrassment, right? Another way out of the embarrassment that is increasingly common is rather than they're not real Christians is, well, I'm not a Christian, so I don't need to be associated with them. The, the response that says they're not real Christians is more common and works better in a society where Christianity is more publicly useful where it's, it's nicer for you if you are a Christian and if you're known as a Christian, especially if you're known as a nice Christian, the right kind of Christian. But in a society where Christianity is not publicly useful or is less publicly useful, the more effective way out of embarrassment is to say, I'm not a Christian. There is a pattern that you may have noticed, and perhaps to some degree can even understand, of what's been described as deconstruction stories. People who, not only for reasons of embarrassment by any means, but to some degree that's worked in, who have looked at professing Christians and they've seen holes in their logic or in their love, and they've said, I don't want anything to do with that. That they are not what people are supposed to be, even by their own standards. For some people, those, those holes that they see have led to the conclusion that Christianity doesn't work, that it doesn't live up to its own claims. Luke wrote at a time when Christianity did not have an established place, where it was not publicly useful, wasn't popular in the broader society. There were established groups. There were a variety of them. Uh, there, were, there were the Romans, there were the Greeks, there were the Jews, and even where they didn't really get along, they had sort of each learned where their place was in society. They had learned to live together well enough and to keep enough space between one another that they each had an established place. And Christianity really didn't. It was not convenient at the time when Luke wrote his gospel. <clears throat> Christianity wasn't publicly useful, and in fact, it was costly. Uh, by its own claims, it was costly. And so, if you're going to be a Christian at the time when Luke writes, you'd better be sure. 
that it's reliable. Luke wanted Theophilus to be sure. He wanted him to know the reliability of the things that he had been taught about Jesus. We might stop there for a minute and say, Theophilus, who's that? Who are we talking about? Well, we don't know, except for the fact that Luke mentions him by name. might even be a nickname. We don't know who this is, but Luke mentions him by name at the beginning of both of his long works, the gospel that we know as the gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts. He mentions Theophilus in both of them. He doesn't tell us who he is, but as we look at his address to Theophilus and as we look at the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, we get a variety of hints that, that help us to take, I think, an educated guess as to what probably was true of this person that Luke calls Theophilus. And I'll tell you for what it's worth what, what I think the hints point to. Seems to me that he was a Gentile who had what we could call a God-fearing history, who for a certain number of years in his life, many, maybe for many years, had joined the Jewish people in respecting the God of the Jews. He seems to have some familiarity with the Jewish scriptures. It seems that Luke assumes that familiarity as he writes. He writes things about the Jewish scriptures without saying, oh, by the way, let me give you all the background about this. He just assumes that Theophilus knows. And it also appears to me that Theophilus, as a a God-fearer who had heard the gospel, had made the decision to become a Christian. It also appears, and this we can gather from Luke's address to him as most excellent Theophilus, and as the person to whom Luke would address a a major literary work, that that Theophilus was probably a person of social standing. We see a person like this, I don't think it's the same person, but we see a person like this in Acts 10, in Cornelius, who is a a God-fearing Gentile, who, when he hears the gospel, comes to faith in Christ. We see him in Acts 10. It seems, it looks to me as if it's a similar situation with Theophilus. This reference to Theophilus as most excellent and to his probable social standing hints at what Theophilus may have been facing as somebody who had a real interest in Jesus in the social situation to which Luke wrote and in which Theophilus found himself. He needed to know that what he was being taught was reliable because associating with this strange group would have put him in a vulnerable place. Here's here's somebody who perhaps was publicly visible and if you're publicly visible then people are going to see that you're associating with this strange group with beliefs that none of the other established groups agree with. You have a reputation to uphold. You can maybe even hear Theophilus' mom saying, Theo, really? You're going to do this to us? You're going to do this to our family? We We have social standing here. Don't get weird on us. You have suspicious questions from other people in society who share a similar standing with you that could be costly. Well, we, to some degree, even if people wouldn't refer to us as most excellent, uh, we, can, we can 
feel something of what it's like to be a basic insider in society, right? Most of us don't walk out into the world that we live in and feel like, I am a complete outsider here. I don't belong here at all. I don't know what my place is here. For us, compared to most Christians who have lived throughout the world, we, we live in, even now, a fairly comfortable place in society. Uh, we see that starting to change. That could change very drastically, very quickly. We don't know when. When we see Christianity pushed to the edges, being less and less of something established and useful publicly, the temptation is to, is to push back, to push it back into the establishment. Luke and Theophilus didn't have that option at all. It had never been part of the establishment. There was no pushing it back in, and they didn't need it to have that option. What they did know, what Luke needed and what Theophilus needed is the same thing that we need, and that is we need to know that the message about Jesus is reliable for us. That Jesus is reliable for us. So this book is addressed to Theophilus, but no doubt Luke intended it for a wider audience. Writing at the time would have been a major investment. It wasn't just like tapping out whatever you wanted to on Twitter or on your blog or whatever you're using. It was a big deal to write. It was a big deal for Luke to research. And so no doubt he intended what he wrote to be read by a wider audience than, than only one man. Luke, in fact, is the longest book in the New Testament. So in many ways, Theophilus stands for all of us. The concerns of Theophilus, to which Luke wrote, stand for all of our concerns. And if you have a real interest in Jesus, a real personal interest, a real personal investment, and if you find yourself at times asking questions, I'm banking my life on this. Can I do that? Is this reliable? Then Luke writes to help you. It's been quite a while since we've done a series on a gospel. Uh, we did Mark a number of years ago, and, and just based on the overall flow of where we've been, I think it's fitting that we would now start a series in the gospel of Luke. As a long book, uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Our, my plan is to, to take it in chunks, to do one chunk at a time for a few months, and then we'll, we'll switch to some other uh, section of scripture and do a, a shorter series somewhere else, and then we'll come back to Luke. And, and my hope is that, that by doing that, we'll be able to take in large enough sections to see where Luke is taking us, and also be able to visit other sections of scripture to make sure that we stay within the flow of the overall story of the Bible as well. So how do you know when we see so many people offering answers, how do we know who's got the right answers? The first step is to know who's asking the right questions. And what Luke is going to affirm to us is that if you are asking about Jesus, then you're asking the right question. And here's what we're going to find. You are not reliable at least not reliable enough. You know some things, 
I know some things. But what the Gospel of Luke is going to affirm to us about us is that we are not reliable in the way that we need to be. Neither is any established group. There is no system out there that, that is reliable enough to make you reliable. But when we ask the question about Jesus and we look to Luke for the answer, we find that Jesus is reliable. Luke says to Theophilus, I want you to know that. I want you to be able to have confidence about what the message is. And more than that, I want you to have confidence that the person the message is about is a person worth trusting with your soul. And that, he says, is why I've written. And that's what we find in Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. That'll be our text for this morning. I want to read it before we go any further. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. As we hear Luke describe what he's up to, we'll get some hints about how he's going to help Theophilus have certainty concerning the things he's been taught. We'll pick those up as we go along. Jesus has done things that are reliable and that are rich. And Luke refers to those things as the things that have been accomplished among us in verse 1. Not just things that, are, that have happened. Not just interesting stories, although they are. They're fascinating stories. But these are things that have been accomplished. Things that have been completed. That have been fulfilled. For centuries, we have been asking, even at the time of Luke, people have been asking over and over, what in the world happened to us? Why do we kill each other? Why do we have to die at all? And is there any way to stop it? Is there any way to, to fix what's broken here? We've experienced that, and, and we haven't just experienced it. We've read about it if we've been reading in the right place. This is something that has been written about for centuries at the time of Luke. When you trace the line of human need and human rebellion, and when you trace what God has said about it in the scriptures up to the time of Luke, you find that, that if this story is going to be finished, the story of our need, the story of our rebellion, the story of God's promises, if it's going to be finished in a way that doesn't end as an absurd tragedy, then there's only one way for it to be finished. And when you see the way that it's finished, as Luke describes it, you realize it's the only way. This is the only way for the story to be finished rightly. You find that everything written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms 
points to Jesus and must be fulfilled in him. That's Luke 24, 44, the end of the book. Everything written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms about the Christ must be fulfilled. The big story, the human story with all of its life or death problems finds its resolution in Jesus, in who he is and in what he's done. And when we watch that happen, we know that it's God's story and that it's reliable. So one of the ways that Luke is going to say, you, you can rely on this, you can trust in this, is by demonstrating the unity of God's plan. You can, you can see that all that's been written in the Old Testament over 1,400 years with 40-some different authors without, without anything that could be done in terms of human sort of collaboration because people are dead when other people, uh, people... People who have written have died when other people are alive and are writing. Somebody else has to be, has to be writing this story. That somebody else is God himself. So, it's with good reason that, in Luke's words, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about what has been accomplished in Jesus. As that narrative is compiled, and as it's sent out to people, it's sent out at a time when it can be verified, not not just by looking back on old historical documents, but by the eyewitnesses themselves. It says these, these folks who have undertaken to compile a narrative of what's been accomplished have done it just as, verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke, as he writes, doesn't describe a philosophy that can be argued for or against. He doesn't even mainly describe an interpretation of events. He just gives the events. He says what happens. He's, he's joining with those who report the actual events as they've been reported by eyewitnesses. <clears throat> so his point isn't to critique or to edit these other reports about Jesus. In fact, he, he leans on them. He joins with them. And the very fact that he refers to them and that he refers to these eyewitnesses who have, he says, passed them on to us raises the bar for accuracy in his own reporting. He's, he's not playing games here. He is, he is writing in a way that can be verified. So he acknowledges in these first two verses as he refers to other people speaking faithfully, that God's faithfulness in Jesus is worth faithfully reporting. Reporting as it is. It's been worth it for other people to do it, and it's worth it for Luke to join them. So he refers to, to their work in verses 1 and 2, and then in a very, really very carefully structured parallel way, he says, just like they've done that, I have found it worth it for me to take this on as well. The things that have been accomplished are so good and make such a history-changing difference that they're worth reporting more than once. They're worth reporting from more than one perspective. 
complementary perspectives. They don't contradict each other, but that show different aspects of what Jesus did. Uh, that includes expanded reporting, so that uh, over a third of Luke's gospel, as I understand it, is, is unique to Luke. You won't find it reported in the other gospels. This is a story to be investigated and to be told, not a story to be made up. You can't improve on what actually happened. And so you don't make the story better by tampering with it, and so Luke doesn't try. That's what he says in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely. So here's that high bar again. He says, I've been careful both in my investigating and gathering and communicate and communicating of information about Jesus. And he writes at a time when his record can readily be checked by others, even by eyewitnesses. He is investigated closely. And then he says, what I've done is I've written carefully as well. I've written I've found it fitting to write an orderly account for you. I can tell you the things about Jesus in a way that Luke says, I'm confident you will find compelling. I'm confident you will find steadying by simply by a faithful retelling of what I have found Jesus to have said and done. The, the narrative about Jesus is enough to give you confidence. <clears throat> so Luke shows us that the message about Jesus is reliable by a story rather than by direct argument. The story stands on its own merits. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear a story told and, and you'll hear it told in the kind of defensive way that puts you on the defense. Things like, well, this event happened, and then this event happened, and then this, and then this, and then this. Coincidence? I think not, which sounds ridiculous. And, and it makes you wonder, how convenient is their putting together of that story if they have to take you by the hand and say, look, this is, this is what these events mean. And the events are selectively chosen, and it makes you wonder whether they're on the right track. Luke says very little by way of <clears throat> explicitly insisting on conclusions. It's enough to set forth Jesus and what he's done as he is. And there are some intended conclusions. And Luke, from time to time, will hint to them. But the story stands on its own merits. It so uniquely aligns with our need and with what God has said already that, in Luke's words to Theophilus, you may have certainty. Verse 4. Another way to translate that would be, I'm writing to you so that you may know the reliability of the things that you have heard. So he he wants Theophilus to have certainty about what real Christian teaching is. Perhaps there have been many accounts that have been out there about what Jesus said and did. Uh, some of them have been directly authorized by God and are correct, and 
Other things may have been word of mouth, and Theophilus may be wondering which, which of these stories are true. Certainly, Luke wants Theophilus to know what real Christian teaching is. More than that, more than that, he wants Theophilus to know that real Christian teaching is reliable, that it's dependable, that, that even as you associate yourself with Christianity and with Christians and with Christ, and that puts you in a vulnerable place, it is the safest place for you to be. I want you to know that. <clears throat> and do we ever need it today? Don't we need to know that the things we have been taught about Christ are dependable? Especially at a time when so many groups are claiming to be right are claiming to be right to the complete exclusion of other groups. Perhaps one of the words of 2020 is the word polarization. didn't start in 2020, but we saw it. We continue to see it. And we look around and we see camps pointing at each other and shouting, you're the reason we can't have nice things. Blaming one another for the problems that we face. What's interesting, as we see that increasing and increasingly hostile polarization, that the further camps get from one another, the more they also hold in common, and the more things that at a heart level we share with them. In particular, the insistence that I am the one who is fundamentally right. Now, I'm not perfect, I wouldn't claim that. But I'm the one who gets it. I'm the one who has the insider insight that can make sense of life for you. And if you would just follow me, then we could live in a nicer world. And it turns out that that basic attitude, that basic posture, is key to the problem that we all share together. The attitude, the message, that I am the reliable one. That's what started the problem for all of us in the first place. The further these camps polarize from one another, and we are always prone to join one camp or another to prove our own reliability, it's interesting that the, fur the, the further and, and, and the more hostile different positions get, the further away they get from solving uh, sort of daily on the ground problems, which people can do. There are lots of uh, things that people do know. There, there are ways that people can reliably uh, solve medical problems or interpersonal problems or things like that. The more, the more hostile the arguments become, the closer we hear people get to asking the most important question, what must we do to be saved? You notice that? As you hear, as you hear people make arguments, they're, they're asking, how do, how do we fix the big human problem? How do we make things the way that they're supposed to be? How do we get people to be the way that they're supposed to be? Only in Christ do we find the reliable answer to that question. The reliable answer to that question, the very different kind of insider information that we have, includes the fact that I am not reliable 
and you are not reliable either. And that Jesus is the one who has come to solve that problem and does. We find in Luke that God's faithfulness in Jesus is worth faithfully reporting. And God's faithfulness in Jesus is worth trusting in completely. And as we follow Luke through his account of Jesus, what we're going to find is that his message and what Jesus has done corresponds to this very uncomfortable fact that Christians don't ultimately fit here. We have a place here. We have a job here. We have a role here. But we don't fit here. And that corresponds very closely with a major theme in Luke, and that is that salvation in Jesus is for all nations. Salvation is not only for one of the established groups. In fact, salvation is for those who find that they are not established and can't establish themselves. Salvation is for the outsiders. It certainly is for social outsiders. It's not exclusive to them, but it is for those who recognize that as they stand on their own, they, we, are outsiders with God himself. It's only for those who recognize that, that the message of Jesus solves the most crucial problem. As we look carefully at Luke's careful account, we are going to find good reason to find the message about Jesus reliable because we will find Jesus himself reliable for the outsiders like us. Father, as we spend time looking at what you have superintended in Luke's writing, we trust that you have been the one who has made all the final calls about what Luke wrote and about how he wrote it. And so I pray that you would give us eyes to see the reliability of his record, to see the reliability of what we know about Jesus, and ultimately to see the reliability of Jesus himself. We pray that your spirit would show us these things in Jesus' name.